0: The Pro Tools Expert Podcast with Julian Rogers and Alan Salabank.
1: Well, good evening. Welcome to the Pro Tools Expert Podcast. It's the 9th of July 2018. Uh, This is Pro Tools Expert Podcast number 327. I'm Julian Rogers. I'm Alan Salabank.
2: And I'm Kevin Becker.
1: Hey, Kevin, good to have you back. Thank you. Hey, So, um, okay, so deals. Our friends at Audio Deluxe have an exclusive deal offering 30% off Retune from Z-Plane. Retune takes an interesting approach to tuning in that as well as being a plug-in capable of typical pitch correction and pitch quantized duties, it offers a retuning matrix allowing pitch-based experiments through mapping incoming pitches to different pitches on the output side. And don't forget to check out the rest of our deals on the uh, partner deals section of our deals page. So that was straight in, no preamble. We could kind of we could talk about the World Cup or Brexit, but mm. actually, let's not bother on either of those, and we'll get straight on with the talking point. These talking points are sponsored by Universal Audio. Over to you fab?
2: Good morning, children. This is Fab DuPont. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast. talking points are brought to you with the support of Universal Audio. Do your vocal recordings need more shine? Are you in the market for a new audio interface? Well, if the answer to those questions is yes, now could be a very good time to buy a Universal Audio Apollo Twin as part of UA's new Apollo Twin Platinum Vocal Promotion. Buy an Apollo Twin Mark II solo and get Antares Auto-Tune real-time free. Buy an Apollo Twin Mark II Duo or USB and get Antares Auto Tune and the Manly Voxbox plugins free. Buy an Apollo Twin Mark II Quad and get Antares Auto Tune Manly Voxbox and the Pure Plate Reverb plugins all for free. And you can find out more about this and other deals the Universal Audio team are running by visiting uaaudio.com or by clicking the link in the podcast notes below.
1: Nearly perfect. uaudio.com, but well done for making it through that without a fluff because there'll be no edits in that. That's a tough one, that is. So we should get on with the talking point. And um, uh, we wanted to pick up uh, what something that. A lot of people have been waiting for a long time. Off the back of the announcement from Nyrink, uh, Nyrink have released an update of V Control Pro that now supports Pro controls and Control Twenty Four legacy control surfaces with Pro Tools. This is something that's been a long time coming, hasn't it? So uh, yes. I
0: don't know who wants to talk about this first because this is potentially quite exciting. Well, I'll jump in. I mean, um, what it demonstrates to me is there's still a demand for physical control surfaces, and there's still a gap in the market that isn't being filled by anybody. This release of v-Control enabling these legacy surfaces to be used, which are in the sort of configuration that is popular. They're a reasonable budget um, in the case of the Pro Control, up to, I think, 32 faders, I think you were able to have, weren't you, on that? Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, taking it on from there to make to, to make something that bridges the gap between the Artist series and uh, you know the S3 and things like that. I think there's 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 a gap in the market. I think Naya Inc. Are, are filling it and they're acknowledging that you know it's it's still good to get your fingers on hardware.
2: Yep, absolutely, I agree. And I wonder how many people actually put their old uh, Surface out the pasture. I know one here we had went to a uh, an untimely end because we couldn't use it. You know so. Mm. Uh, that's great news for those who held on to their stuff.
1: Well, I'll, I'm going to put my hand up straight away and say, I've never used a Pro Control. Have either of you used Pro Controls?
0: Uh, well, reluctantly, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, the, the, this, is the, this is the conflict. So, yeah, th- this is why I said at the beginning that these are popular control surfaces in, in a popular format. Um, not everybody loved Their pro control, I have to say. I mean, I certainly wasn't one of the people who who enjoyed using it, but, um, and I was very glad to see the icons come along. But uh, saying that, you know, the icons, the the D commands and the D controls, they could be next for the same fate as the pro controls. Well, Um, I mean, they are now end of
1: life. Very recently, actually, was the last few weeks? Um, We've known it's been coming, but um, end of life, I mean, that just, that. Just means that the Avid are no longer under a uh, obligation to support it. So if you've got some kind of repair thing then you may be on your own. Um in terms of uh supporting Pro Tools, they're the last of the oh no, they're not. The 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 C twenty four is is this is what's it called? The, um, the last Diginet. Not, Digi, Diginet, that's what it's mm. called. Uh, but the last of that pre Yukon. um that that but the, I'm not aware of any Announcement that's been made on that. And I'm sure Dan would have mentioned it <laughs> if, if that was coming. I
0: mean, one S- big bonus about the V Control, this V Control update, um, if it extends to other DigiNet consoles as well, is it opens the door for simultaneous use with Yukon, which you can't do at the moment. You can't simultaneously use Yukon and a DigiNet control service. Oh, surface.
1: because in the, in the um, Ethernet controllers um, setup tab, it's neither or choice, isn't it?
0: Yeah. You're using one precludes use of the other? Absolutely.
1: Okay, but because this is a MIDI peripheral, or becomes a MIDI peripheral, is that am I right there?
0: Yeah, it becomes wow. a, an extended Huey peripheral, basically. I mean, this is how um, V-Control works. It uses the basic Huey protocol to for the for the raw fader moves and, and control moves and transport and such like that, and getting timecode back and forth to the display and things like that. But then it it uses it's a, a sort of complicated um, layer screen type thing going on where you can you know you can control the plugins directly from the app as if you're t- using them on a touch screen. So it's sort of bringing um, Slate Raven style control to your iPad. Um, so it's using a, a, a mixture of technologies to to fulfil yeah to bring a, an enhancement to the the basic Huey format, and that's an ingenious workaround. I think it, it's it's exactly what um, in fact uh, Euphonic's were uh, apparently up to before um, they were taken over by Avid uh, when they were try- you know they were under a lot of pressure to extend more functionality to Pro Tools users because at that time. Yukon wasn't an avid format; uh, it wasn't one that was ever likely to be taken on. So you know, they worked their way around that by working around the limitations of Huey and adding enhancements to it, uh, which I think you know, is it's great ingenuity. And um, I think long may it continue. And, and hopefully, you know, avid aren't going to close the door on Huey anytime soon because that would really. Um, mess people up
1: (laughs) that would be very mean indeed it it really it really brings it into focus doesn't it I was just thinking about this and I mean I mean MIDI is is older than quite a few of the people who are going to be listening to this podcast I would have thought Mm -hmm. and if if ever there was an example of a technology that's had absolutely every last bit of goodness (laughs) squeezed out of it it's got to be MIDI just because I mean it's extraordinary and and people it's I've been one of those people who've um who've said disparaging things about Huey before I think that's been based on um, less good implementations of it. But if you look at what people have managed to get, especially doing—is it called double precision, where you 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 can basically double the word length by using it twice for fader resolution and stuff over Huey? Is that right? That was
2: that was my question. I you know I know Slate does something like that where you can go into a fine-tune mode. Mm. And SSL you, do you, as well. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. On the Sigma console, I guess, or whatever that is. But um, the um, the is it true? Increased resolution? Are you taking those 127 steps or whatever and then fine tuning them into a portion of the throw of the fader or how does that work?
1: Oof, you're going off the edge of my knowledge here, really. Um, uh, I, I they can't it, surely it isn't doubling the word length because that'd make it that make it incredible precision. Is it is it just doubling the steps? Is it two five six? Mm. I, I really don't know actually. Yeah. So maybe we should kind of not venture too far down that one. Okay. Somebody somebody will know, and uh,
2: <laughs> oh, if anybody on the, yeah, anybody in the community knows, please, please yeah, pop, yeah. pop it in the notes, and we'd love to hear <laughs> yeah. that.
1: But it's a so. On a on a broader point, something that I heard. Um, please tell me if I've got the wrong end of the stick on this, but this opens up um, a control twenty four or a uh, or a uh, pro control to use on DAWs other than Pro Tools, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Oh, um, never I, thought of that. I
0: would, yeah, I would have thought that would be indeed the case. So this would be a very good
1: time to have a stack of rock bottom priced, uh, um, eBay (laughs) purchased. Well, you know what I mean? If it's opening up these, this, this hardware to a whole new user base.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um. I don't know if you... Well, because you've never used a Pro Control. I don't know, Kevin, if you've ever experienced trying to replace a fader or service a button on the, no, on the Pro Control. No, it was control. the same
2: thing with the original. I think it was the... Did the C24 come first or the Control 24? I can't remember. It was the Control 24 first. Yeah. It was, so the that control, was control steep one. That, that was the one with the internal power supply that had heat issues. And then you had to replace that. You had to send the whole unit in. It was very hard to service. And then when the uh the... The uh, pred- or the um, next one along came. They had a separate power supply that was much easier to deal with. So, um, and the mic pre's were way better too. So, um, and those got to be affordable now, right? I think originally they were ten grand or something like that, and it got to be way, way below that. I would think. I,
0: I yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. I, I, I who knows what this, like, this, development will what what effect it will have on the average price of one of these pieces of kit, I mean, it's suddenly they become usable again. Yeah. Um, So I can can imagine there's going to be a spike in prices if people don't get in there quickly.
1: (laughs) And there might be a bit of a drain on spares as well if anybody with renewed enthusiasm starts Mm. wanting to fix up uh, stuff that's been left for a little while. So Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that possibly takes us on to a more general point, which is just hands-on mixing. Because I mean, this is something that interest in it doesn't seem to be going away. There's there's always going to be a, a divide between people who really don't care and are quite happy with a mouse and a keyboard, and people who are going to grumble if they don't actually have faders underneath their fingers. Now, Alan, I, I you're you're a fader guy, aren't you?
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, but that's because I've come from the background of linear mixing. Um, yeah, that's that's the. The tool I use, and that's the tool I've grown up, grown up with, and that's what I understand. It's, it's, it, well, in anywhere other than the BBC, it's up for loud. You know, that's, that, <laughs> that is the, uh, that's the convention, and it's very easy to understand for, you know, a thick sound engineer like me. Um, but yeah, there's nothing, I, I, <laughs> I mean, when I started uh, Doc Martin last year and I, uh, I started pre-mixing that in my own studio and I only had eight faders to hand, and even on a simple TV drama, it, I was running out of faders I could just grab, you know, because I, didn't, I needed 24 faders in front of me because I needed to be able to make those split-second sec- decisions and adjustments uh, quickly without having to scroll up and down the fader bank. So I could, you know, I could grab anything that I needed, in, you know, intuitively. Plus, also still looking ahead at the main screen as well.
1: It's it's the it's the the line of sight thing, actually. I oh, yeah. That. So, Kevin, I I don't know, but I've got a, I've got an inkling that you're probably going to be coming down on the side of faders too. What, faders you... too. And I,
2: I here's my my feeling is it changes the art because you know when I show students that are all in the box usually. Um, we just have a real simple artist control up in one of our studios, and they're on faders all the time. But I think what it does is, on the music side, it, it takes away that intuitive kind of thing you can do as you play down a mix, and you go, oh, you know what, that thing just popped up there, let me go down here and just grab this and move it. And I, I certainly you could do that with a mouse, but I just think when there's at least 16 or even 8 faders in front of you, you're going to think differently about the process than if there's not. That's just my feeling. I don't think, it, and excuse me, I don't think it's an old guy thing. So pardon the mm. term. I think it's just a matter of a uh, of preference and training and, and what you're used to, you know. So and
1: exposure, I'd say exposure, because there are lots of people who've who've never had a fader to hold on to. But this, you you made me laugh when you're talking about. Um, uh, it reminds me of something that I've the most frustrating moment of my teaching career have all been ones where I've had um, I've had a student. With the trackball on a on a D control, moving a fader on screen with the fader uh, moving next oh. to them, and it <laughs> running into their mobile that they've put on the faders.
0: Oh <laughs> Going, no! <laughs> you pick that
1: thing up, you put it in your pocket, and you get hold of that fader. And yes, anyway, that that well, is grumpy old man behaviour. But
0: I've had DFC faders <laughs> send pens in multiple pieces across flying across the rooms on scene changes. So that's yeah, that's that's quite fun to do as well. But yeah. Um, The other thing that really affects uh, mixing in a post-production environment is the quality of the automation control as well. Um, So, I mean, certainly uh, up until Pro Tools 7, and I'm not entirely sure which version, but whenever they brought in um, enhanced automation controls like preview capture and such like that, um, Pro Tools was really not a great mixing tool at all. Um, and a lot of the principal development in consoles that I was using, like the DFC, was absolutely in how you interface between the intuitive control of a mixer, how you manage to uh, elegantly write that into automation so that what you want actually happens rather than what the system thinks you want. Um so, yeah, I mean, th- th- it takes a lot to... It takes more than just putting faders in front of somebody to to bring that change. Um, once you bring the functionality then to be able to really finely control it without leaving the faders, then that's when things start progressing, in my, in my experience, definitely.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, and I was going to say, and build speed too. So, which, you know, as you know, time is money. And if you can demonstrate that that, you know, having all those... Waggly things in front of you is, is making you more money, then there's going to be no argument.
0: Oh, there's absolutely the client aspect as well. I mean, there is definitely the thing of, um, yeah, client. I, I, this is actually sort of an anecdote from a, a, a client who um, went and mixed a, a film at uh, Luc Besson's facility in Normandy, which had uh, a, a, a five man up Euphonic System 5. Um, with you know, the, with the Pro Tools consoles at each end of it, and uh, basically the mixers, for want of a better word, <laughs> spent the entire mix at their keyboards at each end. Huh.
1: The the amount of gigs I've been to where I've, I'm watching somebody on like a, a Avid venue or something like that mixing using the trackball with the console next to it. This is mm. grumpy me again, but it's yep. just, I, I don't get that. I
2: really, really don't. I'm with you.
1: Yeah, I think maybe we should uh, we should move this on before we do get properly grumpy. <laughs> 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 I think we're it, preaching to the choir within us, I'm
0: afraid, uh, aren't we? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. But uh, maybe we should move on to competitions. To help celebrate their shiny new website and the release of six new music production and post-production bundles, our friends at Nugent Audio are offering you the chance to win either a Nugent Producer Bundle worth $499 or a Nugent Post Bundle worth $899. Choose which prize you would like to win and enter the competition at the link in the podcast notes.
1: Thanks. So, um... Talking point two. I wanted to talk about uh, Dan ran a a review roundup. It's kind of a new style of of post that we've been doing, and they seem to be quite well received. Um, looking at uh, looking at a particular category of thing and, and aggregating some content together. He did uh, some stuff on monitors and accessories. And uh, I thought this was a great post. It really made me – actually, I would kind of missed some of these, and I did enjoy looking back through them. And it made me ask myself, if I I'm, – I'm sure we've all been asked, um, uh, particularly you, Kevin, with that kind of being having a student-facing role sometimes, mm. what monitors should I get? And that's something I've been asked quite a few times in the past, actually. But I wanted to extend that and talk about monitors either by model or just general kind of like direction in terms of design or spend or something like that. But also, if we wanted to upgrade, because that's somewhere that I am at the moment, actually. If I'm looking around, and again, I've been here many times before, and I'd kind of like to upgrade my monitors, but every time I've looked at it before, I've decided not to, because what I've been planning on doing has actually been something of a sideways move rather than mm-hmm. moving forwards and, and, and a proper upgrade in the real sense. So... um uh, well, I mean, have we have we all seen this post for a start? Because there's a few mm. kind of good mm. starting points in there. But I, looking at these, I haven't heard many of these monitors. Mm. But a lot of these decisions I make are based on philosophy or just kind of like impression about kind of like not what it sounds like. I don't know. I haven't heard them, but what they've done and how they've gone about putting a monitor together. And I, I, I don't know why I'm so emotionally led. On something like monitors that should just be about shutting your eyes and having a listen, what do we think?
2: Um, Well, here's the thing: is that we we talked this about this before in other podcasts, but monitors and microphones are the two things that everybody latches onto and falls in love with or hates. I I mean, that's my experience. You, You know, you have you don't kind of like monitors for me. I, I, and I never sell old monitors. I always keep them as a reference or of some kind, even in another room, or I throw them upstairs on my television or somewhere I can, you know, put them out the pasture and unless they've, um, unless they have betrayed me in some way, which, is, <laughs> and then they go in the bin, you know? So, um, but I've, uh, as far as new monitors go, I have some pet peeves. One is rear porting. I, I just oh, have yeah. a problem with it. Um, I I just don't like that what they do to the back of my wall, you know, that I'm facing. Um, yeah. So I either have a sealed cabinet or front ported. I just can handle that better. Other people love them, you know. So, and then also a sub. I'm not a big lover of a sub just because I think unless you're doing post, um, like Alan does, where you really need a sub. I think for music maybe as a reference to see what's going down in the bottom, bottom, bottom of your mix. But I think you can go down a rabbit hole that's going to really make your life difficult later on. So those are my two criteria. And as far as an upgrade goes, sometimes I'll downgrade. Like I have these uh, IK Multimedia iLoud monitors, which I use for barbecue and I also use as a mix <laughs> reference. It's funny because I'll stick them out in the backyard and I'll, I'll put them up. And they – they sound remarkably loud and and well balanced for what they are. But just to hear what it sounds like on those, it sometimes gives you a gut check because something sticks out that you don't hear, and then you go back to the original and you go, you know, maybe that hi hat is a little bit too much on the left or whatever it is, you know, that kind of thing. So that's my okay. feeling.
1: I mean, I know you've got you've got access to some really nice monitors, at, you know, mm-hmm. in, at work, mm-hmm. but at home, you, I mean, you've got you've got a, you've got a setup at home. What what, what do you got?
2: I've the um, uh, twin B sixes from Focal. Okay, I've got mm. the um, the uh, older. Uh, I think it's the Atom, the small ones, and I can't remember what they were before they went through this recent upgrade. I think it's the 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 D fives, maybe or something. like that. So kind
1: of like five inch, five inch, yeah, driver, five inch. Which yeah, I
2: love yeah. those. And then I have. Um, let me think about this. I have that's my that's my main go to system, and then okay. um, I have the iLouds, you know.
1: Yeah, 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 sure. So, and, and Alan, you – i mean, you—we'll come on to what you may have swapped out for, but you were running those Presonus Eris, weren't you?
0: Yeah, well, I'm still running uh, the E5s actually um, in my current studio setup, um, and yeah, I, I, I share um, Kevin's misgivings with um, rear porting. Um, though my home cinema setup has rear-ported speakers in, uh, but I have a, a lot more control over what I'm doing there. And actually, that's not a system I go to for accuracy. That's a system I go to for enjoyment. So, And there's a very distinct difference between it, uh, mm. between things. Uh, that's, a, that's a system I go to to listen to things more in the way that Anybody else would, you know, who can sling a half decent amount of money. I've got Acoustic Energy uh, AE-1s at the front um, and JBLs at the back. Um, and, you know, they are not the, the flattest of speakers, neither of the amplifiers either. But, you know, going to um, things like the personas I mean, uh, in the list there is my review of the, uh, the E66s uh, in a 7.1 configuration and uh they're, they're they're absolutely stunning they're front ported um incredible extended bass response um no need for a, a a sub on these um you know as in the uh bass management um and uh yeah, incredibly good value for money um yeah they're, they're absolutely fantastic as as a front ported speaker i think they really punch above their weight um in terms of that and i think that's a great they're a great starter set of speakers. I mean, I think, I think the fives are something like one hundred and twenty-five pounds each. Yep. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and- this,
1: that's a very particular problem that you face, Alan, because because um, the the spend on uh, uh, on monitoring for stereo work obviously isn't nearly as frightening as it is if you. I mean, you're running a mm. seven-one.
0: And well, that's it just that's...
1: puts some things just out of reach if you if you're doing that kind of thing. <laughs> Not just
0: out of reach, especially with the advent of Atmos, ten times out of reach. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and this is I mean this
1: is in conversations I've had with some some monitor manufacturers i mean there's a few things that are kind of coming back and there's renewed interest in in smaller less expensive maybe two way boxes in in place of three because of the cost per channel and also passives as well just because of the install issues with active boxes and mm. and uh an Atmos, which would be a nightmare to rig with active speakers, actually. So, uh, yeah, I, can, I absolutely well, get that.
0: That's the thing. I mean, and in terms of Atmos um, installations, what you're finding in, in the big Atmos installations is that the active speakers with built in DSP and remote control um, are where things are heading. So, I mean, Goldcrest's big flagship um, Atmos room in Soho, um, every single one of their loudspeakers reports back to the uh, digital active crossover network with its health status continually. So as soon as any one of the drivers and any one of the speakers starts having you know, exhibiting a problem or a lack of performance or going out of whack, it flashes up a warning in the control room. Mm. Um, and then that's a fantastic level of, of feedback and control, but it is a that's a very specialist market and they're incredibly expensive. You pay for the, for the pleasure Yeah, as well. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Um, the only, I mean, I've, despite being a big fan of Genelecs, um, I've steered well clear of the 80 series because simply because they're rearported. And uh, I've been in so many installations where people have put them flat against the wall because that's where mm. they have to be. Mm-hmm. And it results in that really muddy, mid-bass soaked, swamped, uh, swamped sound, which... Then, if you then run that through most third-party um, speaker slash room slash environment correction systems, um, then they get that then horrifically wrong um, because their they're, you know, their analysis is being overloaded by this huge. Mid bass hump that they're they're being flooded with. Mm. Um, so I mean, so with things like Odyssey, with other with other self alignment systems, I find they crush the, the the treble. They take out too much of the bass in the wrong places. Um, they expect there to be bass management for most rear ported speakers as well, because if you start screaming, screwing out the mid bass that's being caused by the rear porting you're going to have implications on the sub-bass as well because it's a two-way design generally as well. There's no phys- – you know, it's going against the law of physics. You can't take away something from one set of frequencies and not expect the neighbouring frequencies to not be expect- you know, affected.
1: Sure. So I'm going to kind of uh, maybe maybe steer towards potential controversy where somewhere we've been a bit recently. NS-10s, come on, what do we think?
2: Hmm. <laughs> i i for one never liked them um i mean I, I use them from time to time as a reference but i as far and i feel the same way about oratones. i just never got why you would do that you know i like to <laughs> I, I like to start a mix on something where it's gonna i am dealing in reality and then i can downgrade um a, into a different uh universe if i want uh, just as a, like okay well you know they translate and and the whole thing about if they sound good on ns 10s they'll sound good everywhere i you know i don't know I, I
0: I don't agree, Alan. NS10s have never had a place in post production, in my opinion. So I yeah, I, I've <laughs> I've never referenced off of them, uh, even if they've been available in the room. I just um, yeah, that's the thing with, with post production as well. I I really don't agree with near field monitoring either, because you know, you. <clears throat> You don't get somebody sat right in front of their TV, no matter how small it is. Right. Yeah, you, know, you do get people listening on headphones, but that's a different completely different listening environment. You know, there is all, you know, TV or film viewing is always mid to far field. So, you know, that's that's the thing. So, yeah, this this classic music configuration having a pair of NS10s on the meter bridge, um, if I've ever gone into a studio w- with them, I actually the first thing I've done is taken them off the meter bridge because it screws up the sound of the main in the monitors way. for the yeah, midfields. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> that's that's that had never occurred to me, Alan. That's I, I do like that. It's uh, it's I'm glad I showed up. Um, NS10s. <laughs> yeah, I mean I've I've heard them. I, I I don't see there's anything special about NS10s particularly. But one something I will say in their defence is that I do like sort of mid size infinite well mid to small infinite baffle boxes. So let's talk about designs Ooh, yes. in that case, because Infinite yeah. Baffle, I'm a fan. I mean, what's, fan. what? Where are we on kind of like just in the broadest terms? What flavour of monitor do we do we like or prefer if we have the choice?
0: Well, I mean, I I was actually very pleased. I had a a, a look at the uh, review of the uh, Unity Audio Super Rocks mm. that are um, that are in this uh, in this list, this compilation, and yeah, I was absolutely delighted to see a complete absence of ports on them um it's it's a tricky one because some of my favorite monitors ever have been ported like the ATC 100As um but they are quite difficult to place in a room as well not because of the front porting um heaven forbid they had a rear port because they would just be absolutely Mm. uh, out of control um and my first ever proper pair of hi fi speakers was a set of three way Infinite Baffle speakers with Rogers drivers and them with an unbranded box. Um, and they, they sounded really sweet. The bass was very controlled, uh, it didn't boom out. And the, the, the first sort of ported I mean, yeah, there's a difference with porting if you have like a trans, trans, transmission line uh, type. Arrangement. You can have passive radiators, all this sort of thing with porting, um, and yeah, I, I just think there's a lovely, tight, accurate response from Infinite Baffle, but it's it does place a lot of demands on the cabinet, the cabinet size, the cabinet build, um, and in a lot of cases, it's just far more economical to build to make a ported system. I think,
2: yeah, and they generally don't, in my experience, don't go as loud as you can uh, get a a ported speaker to go i just think because this maybe excursion of the drivers or whatever
1: it, it, it definitely the, the compliance of the air inside a cabinet mm. is going to put the brakes on the driver definitely i yeah. i've had a bit of a change of mind in this because i've been infinite baffle f- forever i just I, I really like them and i've had a bit of an issue with ported designs and i've kind of coming around it was after a conversation with clever people at atc i think actually but um and i think what it is is that um ported designs get a bad press because of people not doing it well enough (laughs) just because uh, just because if you're using a port to try to extend bass resonance then you're getting down towards that kind of like that horrid one note bass chuff 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 kind of uh Mm
2: -hmm. kind
1: of porting but if it's done well it's it's it shouldn't it shouldn't make itself known, and it should it should just uh, make life a little bit easier for the for the cabinet and for the and for the drivers in that cabinet.
2: It's hard to do it right, though. Honestly, I I know what you're saying, but for me the Focal SM9s. I don't know if you know that three way system that you can port down to a smaller two way with a push of a button.
1: Oh, I do. I've heard them. They're they're very good.
2: Those are incredible. They have a passive radiator on top that takes the place of the port, and um, they have a. Um, a three-way design on the front and it they are my literally my favorite speakers but so. annoyingly
1: you can't you can't change the, that setting without going up and going around <laughs> to the boxes can you
2: i knew you were going to bring that up because <laughs> that's what i brought up when i uh when i had them for two years and um they were i was just like can it be a just a app or a something please and then, yeah, yeah 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 no Put great switch. boxes
1: i'd forgotten about those yep Excellent. So, um, well, I mean, there's lots more that we could say, but maybe we should uh, come back to the, sort of the job in hand and, uh, and get on to some, uh, some community feedback. Um, Knut Richard Vanderlueck uh is is getting in touch uh about uh Russ's comment the other day about uh, having used a sharpie on his on his whiteboard. Hi Russ, a little tip. If you accidentally use a sharpie on a whiteboard, take a whiteboard pen and write over the lines of the board, then erase as normal with a cloth or whiteboard eraser. This tip was given to me from a friend at work. Uh, I've never tried it. Well, I can say I have tried it, and I think I said something very similar to this, uh, if not on that podcast, then on another one, because uh, I've done that many times. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it does work. It takes mm-hmm. an awful lot of, awful lot of colouring in, but it does seem to shift it.
2: Here's a question from Itzak Yaron, and it says, "Idea for a tutorial using Yukon Software Remote Control Pro Tools with iPad." Hi, the idea is to focus. On the usage of Yukon software with iPad to control Pro Tools, I see many advantages. One, can control submixes, operate the Pro Tools from an ISO booth, for instance, uh, or self-recording, question mark. It can get complicated when you want to use it to control two machines, but as a start, a tutorial that takes the the detail manuals Avid issued and deconstructs them in a practical way. Thanks.
1: I think that there might be something like this uh in the pipeline actually so so hang on in there um I I almost went as far as to as to, as to buy an iPad to mm-hmm. to do some some content based around Yukon but uh yeah I'm glad I didn't cuz it hasn't happened
0: yet what you can say alan yeah, no, I was, that was an excellent idea, but um yeah, I mean the iPad isn't the only uh control surface that you can use and Pro Tools control isn't the only software you can control Pro Tools with as well. So things like V control or Door, which is on Android. Um there, there's there's quite a few apps and so uh I, I think a, a series of articles um could well be in the pipeline, don't you, Julian? I think it's somewhere we should probably go. It might
1: even get me to finally buy an iPad. So, on to questions from the community. These are sponsored by RSPE Audio.
0: The Pro Tools Expert Community Feedback is brought to you with the kind
2: support of RSPE Audio Solutions. Great people and great prices. RSPE is proud to announce the new ASC Nano Attack Wall. It's a mini version of the ASC Attack Wall that takes all of the acoustic benefits of its bigger brother and shrinks them down to fit on your desktop. Get a reliable, repeatable, and accurate sonic space that's extremely portable so you can take it with you when you move or work in another studio. Learn more at RSPE's website with the link in the show notes below. Fernando L's been in touch.
1: Hi, I have Pro Tools 12 with an 18i20 Focusrite interface. When I'm recording, the monitoring signal sounds very low, even if I crank the volume on the Focusrite monitoring control mixer channel. When I play back the recorded audio, it sounds fine. Could it be a setting in Pro Tools or something with the Focusrite control?
2: Mm, That's right. This sounds like a Focusrite problem to me. I don't know the difference in the signal where the path is going... When recording or monitoring, but I, I can't see Pro Tools screwing that up, unless you're—is
0: he monitoring through Pro Tools or is he using the uh, Focusrite Control app oh. to control it? Because there's there's two distinct modes apparently on it. Because I've been looking into this because I'm considering a uh, Scarlett for my mobile setup, um, and th- there's two distinct modes. You can run it in a sort of master mix mode, or you can run it in direct routing mode. Um which is you know just is like a matrix of you know outputs to inputs to your d a w and and what have you and and stuff like that uh whereas but you can also construct a you know a full monitor mix within the uh focus control app itself uh and indeed on the on the manual um <laughs> which i've actually been reading the um manual and uh they they say to be very careful about whether you've whether you're combining Listening through Pro Tools with a direct monitor feed, because obviously then you'll get doubling up in the in your cans
1: mm. and such like
0: that. Uh, in Focusrite Control,
1: one thing I'd I'd um, just check is that I when I first used Focusrite Control, I didn't understand the interface, <laughs> um, and I was very confused for a little while. Just until I figured out that you could scroll down and pull down, and then you've got separate settings for each of your uh, each of your your mixes so your your monitors or your or your headphones or whatever so are you adjusting the right control are you adjusting the one for your monitors when you listen to the headphones or something like that because if you click on that on the on the left then you get a whole different set of mixes and you can connect inputs to outputs or you can set up a, a custom mix
0: so yeah i mean just click on that make sure you're doing thing. the right thing that's the thing with app, con- app controls of interfaces. Um, I mean, on, on my RME, the default setting is with every single fader on the RME mixer closed. Hmm. <laughs> so when you first fire it up, if it's on the default setting and not one of the presets, then you know, you're never going to get any sound in or out of it. So it's worth having a good read of the manual just to double-check you're pulling the right controls in the right directions. Yeah, definitely. Ricardo Berrio's been in touch.
1: Do you have any thoughts about the EU's new copyright law? Um, uh he's sends a, a link uh, if we haven't heard about it i 'm not really sure if it's so bad actually, but I might miss something. Do you have a clear view on the subject um I, I certainly read about this, and uh my initial response as soon as somebody who knew about it more knew more about it than me on the radio started talking about it, I went, oh actually that could pull in either direction. Um uh, mm. this is like an EU thing, so possibly Kevin, you may may not be quite mm. as up to speed on this. But but Alan, have you got any thoughts?
0: Yeah, well I'm I'm a bit torn on it because you yeah, there there seem to be lots of valid arguments um in both directions. I mean, whilst I will always be staunchly behind uh protecting intellectual property, um Things can get out of control a bit because you have to realise. I mean, it's been said before. There's no original ideas in music, uh, you know, because everything is influenced by something. Um, There are, yeah, that 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 that's just the way life works. Um, And I think I I was looking through the various uh, bullet points of of what these are introducing. They're talking about. uh, some form of automatic copyrights infringement detection. And, I mean, personally, I, I've fallen foul of that before when I've thought I've had full permission to use a piece of audio from its producers and who I thought were the international distributors. Turns out another distributor had a claim on it and also had a team of automated bots, which took it down straight away Without consulting the original producers, mm. so things can get out of hand really really easily, I think, and I think it's 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 a it's something that can't just operate on a sort of binary basis it sort of needs a depth of understanding of the creative process that I think is way beyond any politician I've ever come across. Unfortunately,
1: personas. like most things, it's a bit more complicated than uh Yeah, it's, it's, there's loads of stuff that I could use um, as demo material on, on Production Expert that I don't use, not because I don't have permission from the, from the owner of the material, but because it's just such such a pain to get round YouTube pulling it down automatically and all that stuff. And it's just kind of like, Pff, it's easier not to. Really interesting case if you want to know some more about this. Look at the case of Paul Davids, Dutch guitar YouTube guy. Fantastic channel, by the way. Love Paul Davids. And uh, he got, uh, he got uh, a rude letter from, from YouTube because someone else had used one of his backing tracks oh, and yes, made I a track that. out of it. Yeah, and he got a thing saying, oh, you can't use that, it doesn't belong to you, and he's going, I think you'll find it does. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Yeah. really interesting case.
2: The Pro Tools Expert podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com.
0: If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you will know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. And even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN-equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser, no software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes.
1: And it's time for Find of the Week. No silly reverb required, because James isn't on. Uh, This is uh, sponsored by Ujam. Ujam Instruments plugins are your studio companions always on call when you want to ride play and record tracks take seat in the producer's chair and tell your player what you need this means a maximum of musical and sonic integrity and versatility and a minimum of your precious energy required to get there discover our virtual instruments at ujam.com so alan I know that you've got a find of the week because you've got some new toys to play with and you probably want to say something about them. So uh, I'm just going to hand over to you. Go on then, Alan. What's your find?
0: Um, of the week? yeah. Well, uh, those who follow me on social media will have, will have noticed that I've got a rather fine two pairs of, uh, Genelec, the ones monitors here at the moment. And, um, to say I've fallen in love is is, is an understatement. It, they are just absolutely mind-blowing, and they forced me to readdress my opinion of rear-ported loudspeakers mm. because I've currently got both pairs of them in the corners, against the wall, in untreated rooms, in one case a converted garage, uh, which has got plastered walls with plasterboard on battens, over concrete with a laminate wood floor and no soft furnishings. And you would not believe how good these sound. It's incredible. Um, what they managed to do with the technology they've got there um, and the compactness of the package, it, it's something else. There's going to be a full review there, an extensive review of um, of, of these speakers because uh, I was quite blown away with them when i saw them at the launch at metropolis uh or heard them at the launch at metropolis what i hadn't comprehended from that demo there is just how good they are in a crap room it's, it's and that it's really is else. where the
1: money's at isn't it yep. come yeah come on that's so just for anyone who hasn't seen them uh correct me on on anything that i get wrong about this very compact three-way coaxial design mm-hmm.
0: three-way four driver so they've got twin base, twin woofers, and coaxial um, uh, mid-range and tweeter, and the uh, the woofers are both effectively ported. You, they don't port out straight to you; they go via a baffle, uh, which is phenomenal. When you look at them, your brain hurts because you think, "How does this?
2: Uh-huh. How does this
0: work? How does yeah. this happen?" Um, and it, it's it's. Uh, it's quite something. I mean, um, and, and hats off to Genelec. I mean, completely transformed my appreciation of rear-ported speakers and of speaker correction software as well.
2: Have you got used to them looking weird, though? Because they do look weird. They look fantastic, I think. I want them in yellow <laughs> so they can look like minions. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the one eyeball. Yeah, I, they, you know, just as a quick side note, I heard them at Jungle City at AES last year, and then prior to that, I heard them in the Genelec booth. At mm. uh, I don't remember which trade show, and they sounded remarkable. I mean, I was just like, "How did you do this?" Um, uh, just way better than I ever expected. And you could you could just, you know, just fall into them and just love them immediately. It wasn't a big deal. And speaking of uh, rear ports, I uh, you know I I understand what you're saying about um a rear port that you can forgive because of the Kef LS50s, which I forgot to mention earlier also do that for me where they sound good in a crap room. So um, it's just, uh, the, the Genelex are incredible.
0: Yeah, well, so um, full review to come. And uh, yeah, keep your eyes up
1: for it. Well, Kevin, what about you? What is your find of the week?
2: I've been playing with the Lewitt LCT940, which is their top of the line. I think it's probably their flagship model. It's about 1500 bucks. It's a uh, tube and solid-state mic in one... Uh, in one enclosure. So it's got this really cool power supply that you can dial in, uh, completely variably between uh, tube or solid state. And you can do up to nine polar patterns. And, uh, there's three, um, uh, low frequency cuts, I believe, or three or four. And then there's also, uh, some, uh, uh roll offs you can do, uh, other, other than that. And it just, it really sounds great. Um, my, my, when I review a new product or listen to a new product, I purposely don't ask the price or look at the price just because mm. I don't want to make that misconception based on well, it should sound this good because it's this much. But I even at that price, I think it's a fantastic bargain. And I've had it um the first thing I did was put it up in one of the big rooms at Blackbird as a room mic just as the first thing I'm saying, okay, well let's just see what happens here. I had it in Omni and it was incredible. It sounded really great. And um, I found myself using the tube more than the solid state, but that's just because I thought I just wanted to hear the what they were getting. And I just never went back or dialed in kind of the big selling point is either or kind of thing in varying degrees, but um, had it over a drum kit, had it on percussion, had it on vocals. And every time I was pleasantly surprised on how great it was, so...
1: So so you're saying that it's it's um tubal solid state or anywhere in between? Yep.
2: yep. You've
1: got to run Ooh. that with a UA twinfinity. And right. then you could right. do you know what I mean? And then you right. could like have them canceling each other out or something. Right. Or yeah, half, exactly. You know? Right. I just, wow. yeah,
2: I forgot about that twinfinity. You could do yeah, that too, yeah. yeah.
1: That could be
0: great fun.
2: So Julian, what's your find of the week?
1: Uh mine's the the Brainworks SSL um hookup and the E G series channel strips. The the beta opens uh today, well yesterday if you listen to this uh uh on Tuesday. But um yeah I've 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 had like an advanced copy of those and, and had a play with them and they're brilliant. And I was when I first heard about them I thought, you've already done that. And um they have already done that and there's nothing wrong whatsoever with the uh, <laughs> with the console ENG that they that they did last year. But these these are great. They really are. Um, there's something I, I was wondering about how much I'm being influenced by the fact that they've had uh, they've had kind of like the thumbs up from SSL. And um, yeah, it kind of does make a difference <laughs> of just no. kind of like if they're. But I think that's because I know SSL don't just plaster their name on stuff. Yeah, they're they're very yeah, protective no. of this, and uh, I think they probably they've probably been you know suitably difficult about anything they weren't mm. happy about along the way but no absolutely uh, great fun um really good anyone anyone who who wants to check them out you know they they they're becoming more available um i'm not totally sure when the when the release date is but uh yeah shouldn't be too long and do check them out because they really are great how, how, how many times can you go on
2: i was going to say how is the dsp usage on that because I mean, you got everything in line right
1: uh well i mean I, I'd, I haven't noticed it being any worse than anything else that I've been using, put it that way. It's not something I've been keeping a super close eye on, but I'd have noticed if it was knocking my nose. Cause sure. I'm running all this stuff on a mini, you know. I mean, that would oh. fall over quick oh, yeah. if, it was, yeah, yeah. If, if it wasn't happy. And yeah, main, no problem at all.
0: The main I'd thing I um, miss with all the SSL emulations is the uh, the fact that... The channel strip isn't arranged vertically so it doesn't it reminds me of when not being able to reach the top controls as a, being a short ass but <laughs> <so>.
1: mm. <laughs> that's right you haven't got the dusty controls yeah yeah definitely <laughs> yeah exactly and that sounds like a good point to wind things up so uh it's good night from me
0: it's good night for me
2: and it's good night for
1: me good night